appreciate your music. Well, good morning. Welcome to Church in the Mall. Welcome home. You picked a great Sunday to be in church as we are continuing our sermon series on the stories that shaped us. And we're looking at things from our past and, and things that may even play into the present. But hopefully you've been enjoying those that have come before me. We've tried to bring different people and different voices from outside even our church and our community. And if you have get a chance and you haven't been able to see those, please head over to iTunes and you can look up Church in the Mall and you can hear all of our sermons there as well as our website, www.churchinthemall.com. Under sermons, you can go back and listen. We're also on YouTube under Church in the Mall and we're on Facebook under Church in the Mall. But those are great places to reconnect in case you miss something. But some of the stories are so phenomenal, I would hate for you to miss out. And so we're going to continue in that vein. But before we go any farther, let's just take a moment and kind of settle ourselves. And uh, I'm going to invite God into this space as we get ready to pray together and to hear God's word. And let's see what he has in store for us. Father, as we have gathered both in this space and online, we are grateful for who you are. And we come very expectantly about what you're going to do and bring into our lives. Father, I ask that you would take this message and allow it to be much more than just words. Father, help it to shape us and maybe even encourage us to think about stories in our own lives where you showed up in your God. Father, I know that you are not finished with us and that you will finish what you started. And so, God, as we look forward to a future not only with you and with each other, we know that you are a God who not only leads us but shapes us. So, God, open our hearts and our minds that we might be shaped by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I grew up in a, a family that, um, well, we kind of liked church, but we didn't love it. And so my parents thought it would be a great idea to send my sister and I to a local church and teach us morality or morals. And what I found through that experience is this incredible love with this person named Jesus and who he became in my life, my Lord and my Savior. And this was from the scripture readings, this is from the different pastors that spoke into my life, and most importantly from Mrs. Dazelle that I spoke about about three weeks ago. But I want to tell you about another person in that church that really helped to shape a part of my life. Now, I was becoming a young teenager. I was in middle school, headed into high school. It was my freshman year. I was a, a really good baseball player, and I worked really hard at it. And that year, I led the league in doubles, triples, RBIs, home runs, and strikeouts. That's right. That's who I was, a baseball player, and that's who I identified as. And the problem is, we had youth group during the week, and it was usually on Wednesdays, and then all the fun activities were on the weekends, but I always had tournaments or, or baseball games or different things going on, and so I never had an opportunity, or at least I didn't want to take an opportunity to be a part of the church youth group. Well, baseball season had just ended, and a group of us from the baseball team decided we would join and be a part of a team in one of the little uh, co-op teams in our community, uh, one of the rec games. And man, we were having a great game, and I was really trying to show off and be a big, big dog. And I decided that not only would I steal second, but I would emulate this great player. You might have heard of him. His name's Pete Rose. And I did one of the best head-first slides you'd ever seen. Now, the problem is I didn't communicate with the shortstop that I was going to be doing this, and as he moved over to cover the bag, he overstepped the bag into my arm, and my arm dislocated. And as I stood up, both arms were standing out, and I put my one down, and the other one would not move. It was stuck. Well, I stole third, and boy, I looked pretty cool running like this, but nonetheless, I stole third, and I look over at the coach in the dugout, and I said, I, I'm all done, man. I, I think I really hurt myself here. And we ended up going to the hospital, and 
Sooner or later, I, I had to be in a sling, and then we had scheduled surgery for the future. Well, that particular Sunday, I'm in my sling, I'm at church, and the youth minister, Scott Aaronbell of the church, came up to me and he said, huh, hurt your arm? Yeah, dummy, I'm in a cast. And he said, good, now you don't have any excuses, youth group tonight, 7.30, be there. And so I showed up to youth group kind of angry. I was going to tell this guy what I thought of him and, and that I didn't like his attitude and that he was making light of a very serious situation in my life because I loved baseball. And that night he began explaining to me about this person of Jesus. And I was reminded of that same Jesus I learned when I was in middle school from my Sunday school teacher about how he went after the 90, or left the 99 to go after the 1. Well, in this story I learned about how Jesus is able to come and meet us where we're at and then continue the journey with us. And for whatever reason, God used that opportunity to begin my own journey as a young adult to walk with Jesus. And so I spent every Sunday night at church and youth group, and I went on multiple mission trips, and Scott Aaron Bell and I became very close, and Scott was very instrumental in discipling me to know Jesus. Now, Scott did something really neat. At one point in probably about my sophomore, junior year, he came up to myself and one of my best friends, and he said, hey, I got these necklaces for you guys. I was just thinking about you and your walk and where you're at with Christ, and I, I wanted to get these for you and bless you. And so we opened our little boxes, and we each had these little necklaces, and mine was a little silver necklace, and on one side was the Christian fish with a cross, and on the back was this passage from Mark. And it's Mark chapter 1, 16 and 18, and it reads like this. As Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will turn you into fishers of people. And they left their nets immediately and they followed Jesus. And I just love this picture. Now, Scott didn't have any idea that this necklace would have such a profound impact on my life, but I, I wore it for years. In fact, I actually wore out the leather necklace part and I ended up replacing it multiple times and finally... I retired it into a special box that I keep in a chest in our attic of all sorts of unique special things that have some sort of sentimental value to me. But years later, I would find myself uh, going to seminary to become a professional pastor. And in doing so, a part of the ordination process is coming up with a slogan or a line or a scripture verse that really impacted your life. And so this here is the banner I had to carry during ordination, or I had a banner carrier carry it for me. And on it, it says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. And it has this verse that really impacted my life. This idea that Christ invites you and I to share the hope of Jesus with others. And so I want to share this story with you. And then we're going to come back to this about how God uses us to invite others and how powerful that is. And before we go any farther, I know if you're like me, you might have some thoughts in your mind like, now, wait a minute. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to be one of those Jesus freaks that, that, you know, invite your friends and then your friends look down on you because you're just an obnoxious Christian. That, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God introduces himself to us, becomes real in our lives, and through that authenticity, you and I then become Christ bearers or lights in the world that help direct others to Jesus. And we're going to do it through the things that matter to us, through our own personalities, our own giftings, and our own life experiences. And so as we look at this, it sounds funny that Jesus is going to teach us to fish for people, but what he's saying to a bunch of fishermen is, I'm going to use your gifts and your talents to change the world. 
will you follow me? And the over sounding, uh, resounding answer is yes. So let's spend some time looking at uh, some of these verses and just what's happening in the story of Jesus as I introduce you to somebody that is kind of of little consequence. His name is Andrew. And scripture doesn't talk a lot of Andrew, although he's mentioned as one of the 12 disciples throughout all the Gospels. But what I particularly like is in the Gospel of John, he's mentioned as being the first called by Christ. And so if you want to read about this, you can actually check it out in John chapter 1. And here's an image of Jesus calling Andrew. So the story goes like this in, for, in John chapter 1. Andrew is a young man. He goes by the name Andrew. He grows up Hebrew. His brother is Simon, who we later know as Peter. And so he is of Jewish descent and Jewish lineage. However, he goes by a Greek name, which shows you that there's a progressive side of him. He grows up in Bethsaida, which is a very interesting city where another apostle will be from. His name's Philip. From that city, he comes to know uh, the Jewish heritage and, and who he is as a Jew, but then he is living and working in Galilee as a fisherman, a part of a trade that works a lot with the Greek culture. And so his name is actually Greek. And so what's fascinating to me is you have a young man who's trying to find himself. He's a, a man of multiple worlds and multiple experiences, and he's looking for something very critical to him in his life. He's looking for faith. So he finds this guy named John. We know him as John the Baptist. He actually has some interesting connections to Jesus uh, by way of being his cousin through Mary's line. But as he gets to know this man, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he has set apart a miracle child by God to come and prepare the way for the Lord. And how he does that is he camps outside of the Jordan and he begins telling people to repent. That means to reset or to turn your lives and angle them towards the coming of God. God is about to do something amazing amongst them. Now, for thousands of years, the Jewish people have been waiting for this Messiah, this person to come and change their lives. And here is this man who is dressed kind of funny in this camel hair coat, and he's standing out by the waters of the Jordan, beckoning people to come and be discipled and washed in the water so that they might prepare their hearts and their minds, both metaphorically and mentally and emotionally, for the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Well, Andrew sees this man, and he's really taken by him, and he becomes a disciple, or that's a strange word for being a student of, and he follows this man around, and this man is constantly reminding all these other young men who are following him around that he is simply a tool being used by God. He's not a prophet. He's not the famed Elijah of old that is uh, expected to come back before Christ and point us to Christ, but that he's this voice in the desert calling to us to make our path straight so that we can receive God into our lives. But one day, something really interesting happens. Jesus of Nazareth shows up in this exact location where John the Baptist is baptizing, and Andrew is probably standing there on the sidelines watching the numerous people come to be baptized, and here comes this famed Jesus of Nazareth. And John does something radical. He stops the whole production, and he says, Hey, listen, behold, this is the Son of God, the one who is coming. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with fire, the, the Holy Spirit, and I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. Now, I'm sure young Andrew, hearing this from a man he looked up to with so much reverence, saying, who is this guy that my mentor is 
calling out, who is this guy that my mentor is pointing me to? Well, later on, John the Baptist will actually point out Jesus to Andrew, and he'll say, here's the one to follow. And of course, at that point, some of his own disciples, his other people, will turn to John and say, why are you doing this? Can't you see this man is now getting a bigger following than you? And John makes this really cool statement. He says, of course, he's the Messiah, I'm the messenger. I must decrease for him to increase. Now, this is a powerful moment I want to pause for just a second. You know, in my own life, and I'm sure in many of your lives, you can think of people that allowed you to see a glimpse of Jesus by their actions, by their attitudes, uh, by the way in which they lived their lives, maybe the words of encouragement they said to you, or maybe they just stood out in how they lived their life in such an upright way, honoring God that you took notice. And I want you to think about that person for just a minute. You know, for me, I, I watched Scott Ehrenbell invite us into his life. He was married at the time, he had a young son, and, and it was really neat to see what it was like to, to follow a man who loved his wife and loved his kid and watched how he took care of his family and watched how much faith was so important to him. And Scott really became a discipler in my life. He helped shape me for who I am today. Well, in the same way as John is shaping Andrew, Andrew is about to be shaped by Jesus. Now, why I think this is so interesting is that Andrew seems almost irrelevant. We don't hear much about him after this section. Now, of course, we'll see his name a few times listed in the 12 apostles and, and disciples, and we'll also see him in a specific section of Scripture where Jesus does a miracle. But other than that, we don't hear about him except for in John when right after all this happens and John the Baptist points Andrew towards Jesus and Andrew shows up in front of Jesus and Jesus asks him a great question. Andrew, what are you looking for? And Andrew's response is, where are you staying? In other words, I want to be with you and learn from you. And of course, Jesus invites him in later that day Andrew goes home to his brother Peter and he says, Behold, I have found the Messiah. Come and see. Now, Peter is probably this older brother who has watched his younger brother run from thing to thing to thing to try to fill that void in his life that only God can fill. And as he's looking in all sorts of religiosity, the Jewish faith, John the Baptist, the, the scriptures of old, the, the hope of the Messiah coming, I'm sure Peter's like, oh, here we go again. But for whatever reason, this time, Peter goes with his brother to meet Jesus, and it changes his life forever. Now, why this is so important to me is that Andrew didn't do anything special. He simply sought God, found God, and then shared God with others. And what we find is that Peter will go on to be not only one of the most prominent apostles, but the very one in which the church is founded upon. In fact, the Catholics hold him to be the very first pope. Andrew will go on to be a missionary. In fact, he will move his way up through Russia, and we'll learn more about that later. But in this particular scripture verse, where Andrew's name is mentioned, not simply in a list, but in a story. Jesus and the disciples have, 
have been walking through the towns and they have been preaching and teaching and Jesus has been doing miracles and people begin to crowd around him because quite frankly who doesn't want to see some hope or some good or some miracles and pretty soon the crowd has grown so great and the day has gone on and they're looking to how are we going to logistically take care of all these people and Jesus wanting to teach the disciples a great lesson that he is in fact God in flesh coming to dwell with humanity he says gather all the people and have them sit here in this big grass area and about 5,000 people are in number and when we look at those kinds of numbers it could actually balloon to maybe even over 10,000 because they counted the men and that was just assumed that you count the men and the families were assumed in them Jesus turns to his disciples and he says now I need you to feed them Philip is really interesting. I love Philip because when we go back in time to when Andrew is first introducing Jesus or Peter to Jesus, then the next thing that happens is that Peter and Andrew go with Jesus and they meet Philip. And then they go with Philip and Philip then introduces them to Nathaniel. And, and this idea that people are inviting people to know Jesus is a theme that's not only held in the beginning of the Gospels, but is carried through the entire New Testament. So in this particular scene, Jesus says, now we're going to feed the 5,000. And Philip is so smart. He's so logistic and so logical. And he says, look, Jesus, I, I don't know about you, but I can do a quick math of this whole thing. And it's going to cost, you know, at least half a year's salary just to try to give everybody even just a taste, a small bite. How on earth can we do something this great? Now, Andrew, wanting so bad to contribute and, and be a part of what God is doing, he, he wants to be so helpful. And I'm, he's looking around at what can I do, and there's a little boy standing there with his lunch. And in his lunch, his mother has packed small, five small loaves of bread made of barley. And then underneath them are some fish that probably were caught and dried, and so he's got two fish and five loaves. And, and Andrew says, well, this young man here has two loaves and or five loaves and two fish but you know jesus that's not going to be helpful and even andrew begins to lose hope and i love what happens next jesus says well let's see what he has now i want to point something out here that's really interesting in this particular story you know there there's really about three points that that i want to focus on and then a fourth that i want you to be able to take home and the first is this. Jesus has such great compassion for people that even when 5,000 come out to, to be a part of his life, to see what he's doing, and, and they run out of something simple like food, his compassion is so great for people, he's willing to even meet their, their smallest needs, such as giving them food. We have a God who wants to meet our needs. The second is that Jesus uses others to bless others. Now, certainly God has the capacity to do anything and everything he wants, but he chooses to use people like you and me to bless others. The third thing we're going to learn in this is that nothing we have here on earth, no challenge we face, is too big for God. These are the three things Andrew is going to learn in this moment. And there's going to be a fourth in just a second. As Jesus takes those, those five loaves and the two fish, and he, he surrounds himself with his disciples, the twelve. 
and he tells them something really amazing. He says, you're about to see a miracle. And as he gives thanks to God for these small little trinkets of food, he begins divvying them up. And he tells the disciples, now you go out and serve the people. And as they go out with these meagerly little pieces of bread and fish, they quickly realize that the miracle is taking place in their hands. That there's so much food that they're able to gather it all at the end. In fact, Jesus says, gather what's left over. It's as if God doesn't want them to miss out on the abundance of the situation. And as they bring it back, I wonder if Andrew thought to himself, wow, I got to be a part of this. I I didn't think that the, the loaves and the fish would be a big deal. In fact, I had lost hope in it. But look what God did with something so small, which is the fourth point. You may only have a little to give, but God can do a lot with a little. Let me say that one more time. You may have only a little to give, but God can do a lot with a little. This is Turkey, if you were to find it on a map. This is Turkey a little bit closer. And I want to point out Italy over there. You'll see uh, Africa down below, Algeria, Libya, Egypt. To the right, you'll see Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Iran. So this gives us a placement of where this is happening in the world. And here's a close-up of Turkey, and just to the left of it is Greece. Now, why I'm pointing these things out is you won't hear much about Andrew in the scriptures. But as you lean into some of the historical references and books and what people wrote about during the time of Andrew's life and ministry, you'll find that Andrew moved left of Turkey over to Greece and began working that entire area up into Ukraine and even Russia. And so today, if you were to go to a Russian church, you would see an icon like this, which would be called St. Andrew. And they hold in their belief and their understanding that this particular missionary brought them the good news of Jesus. Now, if you notice, there's this weird, it looks almost like a reference to an X behind him. And that is a very unique and significant cross that Andrew will be martyred upon. This is an artist's rendition of it. Now, as the lore or the history goes, Andrew comes to a point where he is going to be martyred for his faith. And he says, I can't be sent to death the way my Lord and Savior was on a Roman cross. So let's make the cross different. Let's make it in the form of an X. And so he was bound to a cross like this until his life was given up but not before he got to be a large impact in a part of the world that still remembers him to this day. That in the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, especially the Russian and the Ukraine, you will find that this is one of their saints that they lift up regularly. A man remembered. Remember, you may not have a lot, but God can do a lot with a little. 